Brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would keep our ears open for the word that you have for us today. Help us look to you with trust and surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, today we proclaim this good news, that in Christ, God has overturned the old order of things, where power and privilege are protected at the expense of the weak. Now, anyone can get in on the good life, the marginalized especially. The doors of blessing are open to all who will learn and receive from Jesus. You're included too. Come and have life. I read a story this week about a soldier who didn't realize the war was over. Have you ever heard one of these stories? Hiru Onoda was 20 when he, wa- when he joined the Japanese army. It was just before World War II. And he was trained as an intelligence officer. He would go behind enemy lines to conduct guerrilla warfare and to gather intelligence. That's what his training was. On December 26, 1944, Onoda was sent to an island in the Philippines to do this thing that he had been trained to do. Uh, But only a few months after he got there, Allied forces uh, landed on the island and conquered it. And the few remaining Japanese troops, including Onoda, split up into groups of three or four, and they went into the jungle to continue their fight. They went in to hide and say, we're going to keep doing guerrilla warfare, gather intelligence. Most of these groups were quickly killed off, but Onoda's group was not. They had a knack for hiding and uh, staying out of sight and staying alive. And so they continued... uh, to use guerrilla warfare tactics to harry the enemy troops as best they could, strictly rationing their supplies and their food so that they could continue to carry out their orders because they were told, don't quit until we come for you. We will come for you. That is when you can quit carrying out your orders. So if you know your history, you know that just a few months after this, December 26, 1944, it was August 15, 1945, when Victory in Japan Day, when they signed the surrender, that when they surrendered. Um, and so this had happened, but of course these Japanese soldiers on this island didn't realize that it had happened. Um, they were continuing their guerrilla warfare in the jungle. Um, in October 1945, several months after... Um, after the war ended, Anoda came across a leaflet that was made by the local islanders uh, because they knew that these Japanese troops were still in the woods, still in the jungle. And they made a leaflet that said, the war is over. The war ended months ago. It ended on August 15th. Come down from the mountains. Come out of the jungle. And so Anoda and the few remaining troops that were there, they, they looked at this, uh, they scrutinized this uh, leaflet, and in the end they decided it was probably Allied propaganda trying to lure them out of hiding. And so they stayed. And they continued uh, to fight. They continued to conduct guerrilla warfare, continued to conduct their mission. A few months later, um, that, you know, they realized this didn't work. And so a few months later, the islanders got a B-17 bomber to fly over the island and drop leaflets everywhere. <laughs> um, and all over the jungle saying, the war is over. That didn't work. Uh, They continued to try to, they got Japanese citizens to come and wander through the jungles and announcing over loudspeakers, like, we're your people, believe us, the war is over. Again and again and again, Anoda and and the few remaining troops, they thought this has to be propaganda. This has to be some kind of trick. We won't be lured by this trick. They said they were coming for us. They continued to carry out their orders. This kept up for years. And in each case, Anoda and the remaining troops always thought, It's got to be a trap because they thought there's no way that Japan could have lost this war. They just couldn't fathom that that would have happened. Over the next decades, 
This went on for decades. The other members of his team eventually surrendered or were killed in skirmishes with local police who they thought obviously were allied soldiers. Um, but Onoda himself continued to stay hidden, gather intelligence, conduct guerrilla warfare, do his job. He was doing his mission. Finally, after 29 years, in 1974, Onoda was found. And his former commanding officer, he, he still wouldn't come out of the jungle until they got his former commanding officer, who was now like working at a bookshop. He was retired. And they said, you need to come. This guy won't come. And so they got his former commanding officer to come and say, the war is over. It really is. Like, we lost the war. Come out of the jungle. Surrender yourself to the Filipinos, the, the Filipino government. And so finally, Anoda did. At March 10th, 1975, at the age of 52, Anoda in full uniform, somehow immaculately kept, he marched out of the jungle and surrendered his samurai sword to the Philippine president, Ferdinand Marcos. And it was a crushing blow for Onoda to learn that he had wasted almost 30 years of his life on a war that was already over. In his memoir, he, he narrates what was happening inside of him. He says this, We really lost the war. Suddenly, everything went black. A storm raged inside me. I felt like a fool. What had I been doing all these years? Gradually, the storm subsided, and for the first time, I really understood. My 30 years as a guerrilla fighter for the Japanese army were abruptly finished. This was the end. I pulled back the bolt on my rifle and unloaded the bullets. I eased the pack off that I had always carried with me and laid the gun on top of it. Would I really have no more use for this rifle that I had polished and cared for like a baby all these years? Had the war really ended 30 years ago? If it had, what had my fellow soldiers died for? If what was happening was true, wouldn't it have been better if I had died with them? He'd wasted almost 30 years of his life because he didn't realize that the world he believed in had ended. A new reality had come to pass, but he didn't believe it could really be true, and so he kept living as if the old order of things was still in place. In our gospel text today, Jesus is declaring nothing less than the end of the old order. He's saying the war is over. It's finished. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's done. The old order of things is done. And he's speaking to people who, like Anoda, are operating under the assumption that it's all still in place. The old order of things is still in place. And people who are afraid to believe that it might really be true that a new reality has come to pass. People like you and me, we're afraid to believe this. But Jesus is coming to us today and he comes to these people and he says, the old world where power and privilege are protected at the expense of the weak is over. Now through me, anyone can get in on the good life, the marginalized especially. The doors of blessing are open to all who will learn and receive life from me. Just before this passage, Jesus is seen rejecting the old order of things. He's having these confrontations with the Pharisees, the way the world works according to the religious authorities. He's forgiving sins, and the Pharisees say, wait, 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 wait. That needs to happen in the temple. You need to go through. There's some things you have to do. Jesus says, nope. I'm forgiving sins. It's happening through me. He's behaving in ways that are unbecoming for the Sabbath, right? His, his disciples are eating heads of grain. He's not fasting on the right days. He's healing people. He's eating with sinners instead of shunning them. 
And each and every time the Pharisees come to him and they confront him, they're like, that's not the way the world works. You don't understand. You're, you're not cooperating with the way the world works. And in each one of those cases, the, the reason the Pharisees had liked the way the world worked was that it protected their power. It protected their privilege at the expense of the weak. And so each and every time, it felt threatening to them to see Jesus do these things. They're like, no, you can't do that. That's not how the world works. And each and every time, Jesus basically looks at them and says, not anymore. Not anymore, that's not how the world works. And in Luke 6 here, what he's doing is transitioning from the negation of the old world into the positive declaration of the new. Where he's saying, here's how the world works now. Here's how my community functions. Here's how my kingdom works. He appoints leaders. He comes down from the mountain. He appoints the apostles. And in the passage that we read today, he does nothing less than start to redefine the world. He's declaring an end to that old order. And this new reality called the kingdom of God, is he's beginning to talk about how this works. And Joel's going to preach next week on even more about how this works, about how we love our enemies now. Like, whoa, this this is new. Yes, it's new. But it's how the world really is now. It's how the world really is. So large crowds in this passage are coming to Jesus to do two things. They're coming to hear him and be healed by him. They're coming to hear his proclamation of this new reality, and they're coming to encounter it in the healing of their diseases. The deliverance from the demonic forces that are oppressing them. They're seeing and encountering in Jesus the coming of a new reality. And I love this phrase that everybody's trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. There's just this indiscriminate healing going on. There's no interview to say, well, how did you get sick? It's just happening. If you're sick, if you need something, it's coming to you in Jesus. Anyone who needs it can get it. This is Luke 4. Remember a few weeks ago we preached on Luke 4 where Jesus said, here's the program of my ministry. I've come to proclaim good news for the poor. That's what's happening here. Anybody who wants to can get in on the healing, can get in on the kingdom. They're just coming to Jesus and power is coming and delivering them. There's this beautiful pandemonium breaking out. God's blessing is flowing in this situation. And in the midst of this, even people from Tyre and Sidon. Don't, don't tell, right? That's especially offensive, right? This is, not only is he eating with sinners, but now they can just get in on the same blessings that anybody can get in on? People from Jerusalem, Judea? Yes, anybody who wants to, come. And in the midst of this situation where these people have come to him, He looks to his disciples and he says, four blessings and four woes. How lucky for you who are poor. Lucky, lucky for you who are hungry. How lucky for you who weep. How lucky for you who are hated and excluded. And then he says, woe to you who are rich, who have a lot of money. Woe to you who are well fed, who are laughing. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Excuse my French, but... It's like he's saying, it sucks to be you. What's going on here? Like what, is he, like, what is he saying? Glad Deacon was outside for that part. Don't tell him what I said. Okay, all right. Okay, <clears throat> um, <laughs> here's what's happening here. We've proclaimed it already, but Jesus is announcing the arrival of a new world order where the old assumptions are being overturned. He's upending the way the world works. There's this great reversal of fortune. You see it early in Luke in the... Uh, in the Magnificat, where Mary's like, I can't believe that I'm being blessed. And she declares, like, this is what's happening now, isn't it? 
This is what's happening, that the high and mighty are being pulled down from their thrones and God's lifting up the humble and meek. The hungry are filled with good things and the rich have to go away empty. There's this great upending, this great reversal happening here. And the poor, we oftentimes don't, we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we oftentimes don't know what that really means. We oftentimes think like it's a measurement of how much money is in your bank account. It's not just that. In this context, what Jesus is saying, the poor are anybody who's marginalized for all kinds of socio-religious reasons. All kinds of reasons you are excluded, you're kept outside the place of blessing. Outside the community, outside the club, you're kept outside. And Jesus is saying, hey, you who are used to being kept outside, I know, but blessed are you because you're being welcomed in. And the rich here as well, it's not just a measurement of how much money is in your bank account. What Jesus is saying here, this is, this is associated, the rich are associated with power, they're associated with privilege, social location as an insider. It's associated with arrogant self-security apart from God. Those accustomed to, are, to using their wealth to protect their power and their privilege at the expense of those without. So the message is this to these people. Again, these people who are coming to Jesus. He says, blessed are you. I know that you who are poor are accustomed to living on the margins and being cut off from blessing. I know that's what you're used to. And I know that you who are rich are accustomed to being surrounded by friends as you use your resources to solidify your position and your privilege and your power in society. But that reality is being overturned. It's not how it is anymore. Now anyone can get in on the good life of the marginalized especially. The doors of blessing are open to all who will learn and receive from Jesus. This is great news for the poor, but it's going to come across as bad news for the rich. Because when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. You just think this is the way the world works. But Jesus is saying, not anymore. That's not how the world works. I've come to bring a new reality. This isn't a prescription. This is a proclamation. Okay? Jesus isn't saying, it's great to be poor. Right? Anybody who's really been poor, you know it's not great. It's miserable. It's awful. Poverty is not glamorized here. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, specifically in spite of your poverty, you're blessed. Because the kingdom of God is available to you. It doesn't cost anything. You've got no deductible to pay. It's not elective surgery. It's just, it's available. It's just for you. That's why the poor are blessed. He's not saying the poor are blessed in a, as a general principle. He's talking to these people who have come to him, who have encountered him, who have experienced the blessings of the kingdom. He's saying, look, look, you guys thought you were in last place. I don't see any rich people around here. You're in first you're in first place, aren't you? You know how much you need and you're receiving it. You're receiving everything you need. That's the message here. In spite of your poverty, because you're here, you're receiving the blessings of the kingdom. And woe to the rich, to the happy, to the full, to the successful, to the popular. Why? Jesus says, you've already received your reward. You've got your money, you've got your power, you've got your privilege, and you think you've won. How sad for you. You don't realize how worthless those things really are. And it's preventing you from coming to me and receiving what you really need. How sad. How sad for you who are full, who are happy, who are rich, who don't understand how desperately poor and, pov and poverty-stricken you really are. This isn't a health and wealth gospel. 
The poor aren't blessed because now they get all the money. That's not what's happening here. Blessed are the poor because the kingdom of God, what you really need, you're more aware of than those who have a lot. You're more aware of that. Because what you really need to flourish isn't status, wealth, and privilege. It's, it's God. It's his presence. It's his power. And wonderfully, it's available to you. Blessed are you who are poor. And besides, the money's going to run out. The happiness will end. You're just going to get hungry again. You're in the jungle, behaving as if the old world still exists. You're under your old orders. And that world is over. This is why the New Testament talks a lot about the deceitfulness of wealth. It's tricky. It fools you into thinking you're okay when you're not. And this is what Jeremiah is saying in our Old Testament reading. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh. The one who thinks everything's fine because I've got plenty of money. Woe to you because you're further away from true flourishing than you really realize. Jesus is proclaiming how things are now. Blessed are you who are poor. How lucky for you. You thought your lack was blocking you from blessing. But actually you're in first place. Here you are. Receiving from me, receiving from the kingdom of God, right in the midst of your lack. The good news, friends, is that in Christ, God has overturned the old order of things where power and privilege are protected at the expense of the weak. And now anyone can get in on this good life, the marginalized especially. The doors of blessing are open to all who will learn and receive from Jesus. You're included too. Come and have life. How do we respond to this today? this good news. Sometimes we look around in the world and we find it hard to believe that this is really true because the, the, the rich sure seem to be blessed, right? There's an there's a inequality gap that's widening. That sure seems to be true. They sure seem to get away with a lot. There's billionaires who pay their workers not a living wage so that they can get subsidized by taxpayer-funded welfare, right? There's a lot going on that's messed up. So can it really be true what Jesus is saying? I think in moments like those, we're a lot like Onoda. We're in the jungle. We just think this must be true. And we look out, we think we see evidence for it. But the gospel today is a little leaflet that we find nailed to a tree that says the old world is over. Take the risk of surrendering your backpack and your rifle, that stuff you carry around. Take the risk of surrendering it and enter into this new reality. Because it's here. It's available. But you've got to come out of the jungle. If you stay in the jungle, you're just going to think that the war is still going on. You're just going to think that the old order of things is firmly in place. And we come out of the jungle by trusting Jesus right where we are. We come out of the jungle by saying, okay, I'll believe you. I'll take the risk. I'll venture on the veracity of this claim that the old order of things is really done for. It's easy for us to believe that what we really need to be happy, what we really need to be okay, what we really need to have a good life to flourish, to really live, is something that we don't currently have. A more fulfilling job, a promotion, where people will recognize my skills, my significance. For my kids to have all the opportunities I never did, to find a spouse, to have better friends, to have more friends, to have my people that are that are with me, that I know are for me. To lose that last 15 pounds, to look stunning and beautiful in front of others. 
Maybe it's more simplicity, more productivity, more time for reading or for hobbies, to get in with the cool kids, to get invited to those parties, enough money for a family vacation every year or a retirement fund. We believe that these things will give us a sense of belonging and security and significance, and so we take our orders from the old order of things. We take our orders from them and say, you must do this to be happy. You must do this to have the good life. And we do so. We obey those orders. But the good news today is the leaflet that says the world has been changed. Those orders are null and void. Take off your pack. Lay down your rifle and surrender because there's a new reality that's replaced the old one. So blessed are you who are stuck in a dead-end job. For the adventure of the kingdom of God lays before you. Blessed are you who don't know what you're doing as a parent and fear that you're screwing up your kids because God cares for your kids more than you do. Blessed are you who are single and don't want to be for Jesus himself knew what it was like to be alone and he is close to you to comfort you. Blessed are you who are lonely and not good at making friends for God walks with you. Blessed are you who are deeply tired and weep from exhaustion at the end of the day for you will find rest. Blessed are you who constantly worry about money, for God will provide all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Blessed are you who've made a mess of your life, for there's nothing that God can't forgive and redeem. Blessed are you who live in constant pain in your body, for God is coming to you to heal you, body and soul. Blessed are you who are at the end of the rope, because that's where God lives. Blessed are you who don't know how to grieve For Jesus is patient with you, and he'll walk with you and teach you to let go. You don't need to do anything more. Everything you need is available to you as you reach out and trust Jesus. We're going to come to this table in a moment. At this table, we receive from Jesus his power and his presence to fill those deepest parts of our need. So come and learn from Jesus today. Come and feast on Jesus today. His presence and power are here for you. In Christ, God has overturned the old order of things where power and privilege are protected at the expense of the weak. Now anyone can get in on the good life, the marginalized especially. The doors of blessing are open to all who will learn and receive from Jesus. You're included too. Come and have life. Let's respond today in prayer. There's a prayer in your booklet. You can fill in the blank and speak out Wherever you're tempted to believe that you need something other than what you have to be blessed. And we'll pray together. End your prayer with Lord in your mercy. We'll all respond with hear our prayer. I'll start us off and then we'll provide some space for others to pray. Lord Jesus, I confess I am tempted to believe that I need... (laughs) to get all the things done, to be blessed. Today I lay it down, trusting that you overturned the old order of things and opened the doors of blessing, even to me. Help me learn and receive from you today. Lord, in your mercy, 